Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. Uh, tonight I've got on the podcast Dave Herbert. He's the current Australian Gems under 19 women's coach and, uh, and a high performance coach down there in Victoria. So welcome, Dave. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. It's great to have you on. I'm sort of branching out into Victoria and New South Wales. I've done a fair few of the coaches up here in Queensland. So uh, I'm trying to widen the widen the network of Australian basketball coaches. And yeah, um, obviously, you've got a bit, had a bit of time up here in Queensland as well. So we'll talk about that later in the podcast. But always great to hear uh, people's journeys and, and experiences. And I, one of the, I guess one of the things I normally start with is this year, where did you get started in basketball? Like uh, down there in Victoria, that's the, the, the hive of of basketball, of basketball, so um, you must have been roped in pretty early, were you? Yeah, I think I was about uh, 10 or 11. I read an article in a newspaper. Um, I lived in a little country town called Mall. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's probably bigger than a country town, actually, but um, basketball wasn't huge. Uh, I think I was the only uh, young male basketball in my year level at, um, at high school that actually played, and uh, <laughs> I ended up hanging out with kids a year older than me because they were all into basketball. So that's that's sort of where I started, Latrobe Valley. Um, and that's like the, there wasn't much uh, in terms of NBL or knowledge of what, what the Australian pathway was at that time. I think it was called the National Junior Development Program. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I played in the VJBL uh, for Latrobe Valley and, uh, as, as a junior and uh, I think I got lucky. I represented the country at under-16 level at the Australian Country Cup, and that's about as far as I went. I realised <laughs> I was a little slow, a little unathletic, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I, I got into coaching rel- relatively early through a friend of mine, Russell Thomas. All oh, right. Okay, so did you uh, get a chance to go to nationals or anything like that, like when you are playing for Vic Country? Uh, only only to the Australian Country Cup in Albury. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think I'd probably finished playing and uh, two or three years later I'm, I'm an apprentice coach with Vic Country and that's sort of where the coaching started and yeah, um, I, I'd, I'd always coached I think from age 15 I was coaching under 10s, under 12s uh, and then ended up running a club and coaching most age groups. My father and I had a uh, Tigers basketball club uh, in Mall and uh, we, we, we ended up coaching that many teams it wasn't funny that's, that's just what you do I think yeah. in basketball you you're, um, you become a volunteer and uh, it beca- that becomes your life. I think your job's secondary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, uh, I guess, in, in that country, Victoria setting, like who were your main influences, you know, in, in basketball, but like people who got you into it and, and uh, maybe coaches you had or, or just people who were involved? Yeah, I was lucky. I think the, the, we had Marty Hansen uh, in, in Mall at the time. Uh, there was Russell Thomas, uh, Ray Bailey, uh, there was a number of people uh, that were sort of in, involved in the Vic Country pathway and uh, I had an opportunity to, I, I guess, progress very quickly. Uh, a young coach at that, at that time, you, op- opportunities opened up and I met a guy by the name of Steve Barr uh, who uh, got me involved with the, in the WNBL. Uh, right. I was an assistant coach at Dandenong uh, very early on. Uh, there was like 98, 99, something like that. It's a long time ago and... That was my first taste of that level. Yeah, and what were your initial thoughts, like uh, getting into it fairly young as well? Yeah, it, it was interesting. To, I, I guess looking back over my time, um, I'd, I'd love to have it again. <laughs> um, you'd, you'd cert- I'd certainly do a number of things differently. Um, it's, being, being a young coach, you, you want to advance through the levels and pathway as quickly as you possibly, possibly can. You get to the point you feel you're indestructible and yeah. um, you have a little bit of success and um, you, you don't really realise all the little things like the player management, yeah. uh, how to deal with players that are older than you at that, that particular time. So um, that was that was a really interesting experience for me. So what are the, some of the, the learnings that you, you found out? It sounds like maybe you found out the hard way, but um, like, uh, you know, what, what did you, um, and I guess, you know, a lot of coaches have been in that situation as well. Like you start coaching fairly young and uh, you're coaching sometimes players that are they're older than you. So um, did you get a bit of grief from them or was it just more, a, 
you know, like, uh, oh, well, what do you know? I, I can I can choose whether or not I listen to you because you're only a young fella. Yeah, that 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 was the that was the challenge for me. I guess the uh, I went from the the WNBL program to Townsville. Yeah, and uh, that that was uh, I went up there to work in the Queensland Academy of Sport with Warwick Can and. Uh, I was guided heavily by uh, Patrick Hunt at that point, the national. Oh yeah, coach. yeah. Um, then all, all, all guests on my podcast, you'll be happy to know, Dave. Okay, yeah, yeah. In, in the back catalogue, so yeah, check Patrick, it out. Amazing guy. He yeah. uh, certainly influenced a lot of what I know, and another guy, Jack Thomas, as well. That's I can't not mention Jack. He he was a huge influence and got me the job in Townsville, with the oh, QAS. Nice. Uh, yeah, but to jump into a WNBL program and go back to your question of <laughs> um, the. At age 26, uh, it was it was a challenge. I had a, a few young superstars and Susie Bakovic, Natalie Porter um, in the program, uh, mixed in with some locals and some older uh, lo- local players across Queensland. Yep. And we, we tried to keep local content and everything like that. And it, it, it um, sort of met head on, I guess. And uh, being a young coach, you're really not prepared for that. And uh, just the dynamics and learning to deal with that. Um, it was a baptism by... Th- by fire, Townsville fire, baptism by fire, but it really was. Um, had my time again, I certainly would have changed things, uh, particularly that first year. Luckily for me, uh, or we had three wins in our first season, lost 18 games, and yep. um, then the next season we go on and uh, make the preliminary final. So that that showed what I learned in that first year. But yeah. um, I, I always say to young coaches, um, don't – don't be in a race to get where you're going. Be what you need to do is get a range of experiences from a range of different coaches, uh, and and listen and learn as much as you possibly can, and learn to develop and manage players before you step into those uh, the higher end programs. Because quick way to the top and a, an extremely quick way to the bottom as well. So after six seasons, um, like we we were reasonably successful. It's sort of uh, just over a forty percent win loss ratio for a new program. Yeah. Um, it, it certainly helped me, but um, again, I, the, the the trials and that as a of a young coach, um, it certainly like I I'd, I'd love to do that again and, and be involved in that program. I, I think I'd be completely different, like I have been, um, particularly getting to Geelong, being that older statesman. Is that the right word? <laughs> um, and and having the ability to manage and um, really get people to gel together as a team. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think it's uh, something you learn as you go, and each each, each season's different. I guess just sort of reiterating that fact, you were, that was the first year Townsville Fire were up and running, and and then like you mentioned, second year uh, much more successful. What was that process that you went through? You know, after year one, probably not a you know great great to be entering the league with a new team, but then um, you know probably uh, stepping back and just doing some evaluation and that sort of thing. Did you actually have a process, or did you who did you like get feedback from, or, or um, where where'd you look for information? I guess it was a new program, so we, we got feedback from everywhere, and <laughs> I, I can I can tell you straight up the, the player feedback wasn't tremendous at all, and yeah. Um, it, it was uh, part part of that being young, uh, inexperienced. Uh, the, you, you'd you'd have a player lose their cool, and I'd try and uh, settle it all down and everything like that. But um, and try and do it my way. But um, my way is now different <laughs> in a lot of lot of respects. And um, it's at, at that stage, I probably wasn't ready to deal with a lot of the things that happened. And um, yeah. now um, I wouldn't put up with any of that sort of stuff. It's uh, it, it's a completely different thing. And uh, those, those players at that particular time, uh, it was tremendous learning for me to go through, hear what they had to say uh, and really reflect and look at uh, where I was going as a coach. Uh, it was, you want to learn the quick, you want to learn the quick way and the hard way. That's, that's the best way to do it. Throw yourself in the deep end and yeah, there you go. Yeah. Nice. Um, so yeah, like you say, six years up there with the, with the fire, I guess one thing I heard when I talked to Ian Stacker, he sort of said, you know, uh, from the point of view of coaching the Crocs, like a little bit hard at times, I suppose, in that sort of regional town and, you know, halfway up the coast in Queensland trying to, to recruit players. Did you have that problem as well or did you find it a little bit easier? We did. I think at, at the time, because it was new, everything was uh, growing uh, and basketball was was flying in Townsville at the time. We had a lot of sponsors. We had a lot of backing. Uh, so yeah. we, I wouldn't say we splashed cash around, but we had a budget that was that was that was okay to recruit. 
young female basketballers at the time. And uh, I was lucky I had uh, the likes of a Natalie Porter, who I'd, I'd coach as a younger younger kid in Victoria. And I knew a number of um, young up-and-coming stars and was able to actually lure them to Townsville. So um, it, it it's a challenge. Like the, you, you look at the Cairns men in the NBL, like Mark yeah. Beecroft up there does a wonderful job uh, and the coaching staff bringing in players and it, you just don't have the opportunities uh, for corporate dollar like you do in Melbourne and, and the other major centres. So yeah. but to have a NBL and WNBL program uh, in those regional areas of Australia is so vital for the sport, provides a pathway and that's why you see kids in Cairns and Townsville uh, going on to the highest level all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, and yeah, I think there's that sort of sense of pride too, isn't there, when there's a kid who's from the centre. I mean, that probably happens everywhere. They're from the centre and they uh, we talk about the pathway for players and coaches and, you know, eventually um, you get to live that out with a, a local coach and a local player. It, it just uh, – it, it's it's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, you look at the Kelvin Robertsons and um, Peter Crawfords of the world who play yeah, – yeah that many NBL games, et cetera. And that, that wouldn't happen if uh, if Townsville didn't have the NBL program and WNBL and uh, Cairns the same. Like there's so many good – like Aaron Fern wouldn't have been an NBL coach without uh, having having that pathway there set up by Rod Pop. So yeah, yeah, that's it. Rod Pop and Dennis Russell had just done – they did some amazing work uh, to pioneer and, and get all that stuff up and running. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew Dennis from my time up there in Townsville. Um, great bloke, very uh, very committed. And um, I noticed there's a couple of awards uh, named after him now, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. He, he was wonderful to me. Uh, I, I coached Shane for a while up there. Um, yeah. and I, I still I, – I actually should give him a call and have a talk to him because uh, <laughs> he, he was a wonderful man. And uh, without him, basketball wouldn't have gone ahead uh, in, yeah. in the Townsville area. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So uh, a bit of time up in Cairns. Was that sort of straight after your time in Townsville, um, Dave, or did you go somewhere else in between? No, I, I went off to WA. Oh, that's right. Um, high performance yep. role over there and uh, ended up coaching a WNBL program for free. Um, <laughs> low budget, absolutely no budget actually. And All right. Uh, we, I, I re- managed to recruit a girl by the name of Tully Bevilacqua. Probably no one's heard of her, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she was amazing in that in that first year. We we actually, uh, at that particular time, I think the program had won two, three, four games in nine years or so and, and we happened to win, I think it was nine or ten in that in that first year. And yeah. uh, I, I credit a lot of that to Tully. Um, she, was, she was just an amazing human being and inspired people around her and uh, it she was an easy one to manage and I learned a lot uh, working with her in that 12 months. Yeah, nice. I was watching you in a coaching clinic you did last year and you mentioned her as well, like talking about defense and and we'll we'll maybe get into that in a little bit. I just wanted to cover off a little bit more on, on your coaching journey. And um, so from Perth, was it? Then you went over to back to I, Cairns? Uh, no, I actually went no? to Canberra for six months. Oh, uh, yeah. Kerry Graff uh, asked me to come and, help her with the All right. capitals. Yep. So that was, uh, I, I guess that was a, a stepping stone to Cairns. Um, yeah. And the, that was a tremendous experience as well, working with Kerry. I'd, I'd done that. I'd been away with the Australian University women's team in 2007. Oh, yeah. yep. and, uh, we were lucky enough to win a gold medal and Kerry oh, nice. was um, tremendous. She, she holds the, the Australian basketball values close to her heart, relentless persistence, all those, all those things that Tom Maher, um, used to resonate through through the program. Yeah. Uh, it, it was tremendous to work with her. Lauren Jackson was injured that year, unfortunately. Uh, but just to be around her and around the likes of Jessica Bibby, Carly Wilson, those players, it, again, another learning experience that um, helped me in my pathway. Yeah, nice. And um, a bit of history there too, like coaching in Canberra, I reckon. Um, they're a pretty established club um, and, yeah, got a pretty strong track record, don't they? Yeah, they were always uh, – I, I think coaching in the era where Lauren Jackson was at her best, yeah. um, you pretty much were going to either come second, third or fourth or <laughs> wherever you might end up. Uh, she she was an amazing individual, amazing player. Um, I think the go-to female basketball um, to, and to see her yeah. in full flight, we, we were – 
we had a 16-point lead in, against Canberra in a semi-final at the WNBL. And uh, Lauren went on. I think she had over 30 in the second half. And unfortunately, we lost on the buzzer All right. uh, to, to hit the grand final. And it was, it's probably one of the best individual performances I've ever seen from a, a player. And that's just how good she was. The yeah, first yeah. year... The first year we played her, we could niggle her and get under her skin a little bit. She went to the WNBA. She came back, and uh, you couldn't you could not shake her at all. She was um, the, the just phenomenal player. Mm. Yeah, yeah, huge contribution. Hasn't like when you think of like you say the goat. Um, like not many, you know, with her record of success, you know, like at all levels, really. No, nah, she she she's something special. That's for sure, and it's great to see her. Heading up women's basketball now in Australia. Uh, we're looking for a figurehead. She's the one. She's the player that's done it all and uh, certainly been, I, I think, the world's best at, at various times in her career. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, talking about your WNBL experience, three three teams there, Townsville, uh, Perth, West Coast Waves and Canberra Capitals. Have you still got that desire to get back into WNBL? Or uh, It's interesting. I... I um, I didn't think I did. And then <laughs> Southside Flyers, I, I went through an interesting process with that. Um, I, I was actually interviewed uh, along with three or four other people. Um, the, the interview panel while we were doing the interview interviews was sacked. Um, right. So I never heard anything for about six weeks. Uh, and then Cheryl Chambers was appointed. But I, I did put my hat in the ring in that situation. Um, I, I guess... There is, there's interest. You, you always have that fire in the belly. You, you want to, you want to coach at the highest level possible. Uh, but, but at the moment, my, my complete focus is uh, at the school, um, Western Heights College in Geelong, with yeah. a high performance job with um, Basel Victoria, and in particular the Gems. Uh, I'd, the, the experience going away with that program was a special one, and um, I, I'm certainly looking to try and win a gold medal uh, when and if the championships ever happen. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about that that experience. So that you went away to India for the Asia Cup and then was it, where was the uh, world championships then for the end-of-19s? I didn't quite catch where that. It was in Bangkok. All oh, right. So I'd been to Bangkok in 2007 and we won gold and um, I was looking forward to an overseas trip and uh, heading somewhere different and ended up in Bangkok again. <laughs> again. Uh, but the, the, the people of Bangkok were tremendous. They, the way they get behind the sport there is, is amazing. And um, to work, I, I coached Claudia Brassard. She was the other assistant coach. And yeah. to work alongside her uh, was something special for me. She's a terrific coach, terrific person. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm one of the reasons she's in Australia because I, I brought her out a second time. After a stint in Berlin, I I met her in Townsville. She went to visit my flatmate, and uh, we met. And she was one of the most underrated players in the the WNBL, and has gone on and had an amazing coaching career. And mm. head coach D Butler, um, she's hard nosed. Um, she she knows exactly what she wants. She's stubborn in what she wants. Uh, I used to get in trouble for putting capital capital letters in my scouting reports and things <laughs> like that. So. Uh, but D, it was a terrific experience. She'd been on a number of campaigns and to go through the whole thing uh, from the strength and conditioning side to the way we prepared the team yep. uh, to, to, the, to the worlds, um, it's a real eye-opener and it's something if uh, young coaches and everything that they should really aspire to and get involved in that if possible through the yeah. So, so tell us a bit about that tournament in July in 2019. Um, obviously, through to the final, sounds like a pretty exciting game. Uh, went down in overtime, but how, how, how was it in terms of preparation and, um, you know, just that whole experience? Yeah, we, if, if you look at, we, we played the USA in our first game of the tournament, uh, lost by 25. So uh, we, we certainly started preparing for that game after that, that particular loss. Mm. Um, we, we were destroyed by their, uh, their press. Um, so we, we developed a press breaker specifically for their half-court trap that they were running. And uh, I, I think the first few minutes of the game in the final, we, we went on a, a, a bit of a tear against their press. We were, we were that prepared for it. So um, it, it showed the, the work and the build-up uh, we did. We, we actually went to Nice in France as a pre-tournament. Mm-hmm. And we played under 20 teams. Uh, All right. 
we got beat up as a group. Yeah. Um, the European style is very physical, a lot of holding, a lot of grabbing, a lot of pushing, uh, and that was a perfect preparation for us to go and play at the Worlds. Uh, unfortunately, our first game, like I said, was a 25-point loss. But I think it really, it really uh, set a uh, set a scene for what we had to do uh, for the remainder of the tournament. If I look at our World Uni Games um, yep. campaign, same thing. We went, we lost to Brazil in the very first game. Brazil came last in the tournament. All right. And we ended up winning gold. So <laughs> I think, I, I can't say if I can get to the, the, the Worlds and we lose our first game, I'll be overly happy. But um, tournament play is certainly different. Yeah. We were, we were probably lucky we had the US in our pool. That way we didn't have to face them to the end of the tournament. Yep. Um, but the scouting, the detail in the scouting, the work that's done behind the scenes, uh, we, we, would, we would share the workload, obviously, between the three of us. Yep. He was involved with a, a lot of review of the Australian team. Um, obviously, Claudia and I would, um, would, would take a – I'd prepare one team, Claudia would prepare the next team, and then we'd just flip it over. And, yep. and there was hours and hours. I, I, there's nights there where – two and three o'clock in the morning where we're still looking at videotape and working out uh, strategy on how we're going to defend this particular part of an offense or what we're going to do uh, to try and change it up. And uh, I, I think the three of us worked fantastically well together and we had great chemistry and that reflected with the, the team and the staff in Donna Turner and the medical staff. It was, um, it was just a great experience all around. Yeah, nice. So, um, with uh, you know that 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 experience at that uh, championship, obviously, I think that's probably set you up fairly well now for your head coaching role. Um, like you said, you're looking forward to that. But I guess one of the things I, I wanted to ask was, I suppose, okay, you've been appointed, and and it's probably a little bit not typical in terms of like you know the current environment and that sort of thing. But what's the first thing you did, like I, I guess, once you got appointed to that head coach role? Um, I, I guess. The first, the first thing I actually did was start to compile a list of, um, I guess, overall staff and, and assistant coaches and get some some thoughts around that and yep. start looking at the players across the country. And the, the challenge the challenge right now, obviously, I, I, I got to the under-20 nationals, uh, then everything shut down, the whole country yeah. shut down. Yeah. So I haven't seen the under-18 kids play at a national championship. I was oh, yeah. fortunate enough to go to Australian Development Camp um, but not all the kids were there. So in some respects, flying blind a little bit, but I think that's worldwide right now. There's, there yeah. wouldn't be too much preparation going on. Um, but we obviously we selected assistant coaches. Um, I'm lucky to have Katrina Hibbert and Kristen Veal, um, two, yeah. two amazing uh, players and also coaches. So, and we've, we've had a number of Zoom meetings already. We've had a number of meetings with Peter. Uh, Lonigan and we've been discussing um, obviously the squad, the makeup of the team, the, what we're we're now getting into the game style. So we're trying to trying to look at where we might head with it all, and um, it's I, I, I've loved it so far. Like it, it's just a lot of work in the background, getting yep. um, like the just just things like the camp programs, the. The, the video that I'm going to show the players before they get there and things like all those things that uh, we've been working on um, for, for a number of months now, yeah. just not knowing <laughs> when it's all going to go, go ahead. Like the, the spike in Victoria probably indicates we'll be shut down for a little bit longer. Mm. Um, there's a possibility Asia Cup might go ahead this year. It might not. It might be, might be next year. So uh, it's really an unknown area right now and, um, I just want to be. I, I want to try and be as well prepared as possible um, hmm. before that first camp that we have. Yeah, and I guess one of the things I was thinking about was, you know, with the I guess the player group that you'd you'd have. Um, probably a lot of those players would be, you know, on on the on the roster, or at least you know, in the mix with WNBL, uh, NBL one teams, and even like college as well. So. Uh, what, what sort of challenges does that bring in terms of trying the scheduling and and you know like trying to get things happening like training camps and training sessions and that sort of thing? Yeah, we we uh, we went to the Asia Cup. Um, we had one camp. Yeah. Uh, then we headed to the Asia Cup. You in China, Japan, and the teams we're playing, they have professional basketball schools. So, oh, right. um, we're lucky with the system that we have. Uh, the 
the uh, NITP or the, the the state development programs and national development program that we have. Um, there's a, there's some common themes that are taught throughout those states. So when when we bring players into camps, they they are reasonably well prepared. Hmm. Uh, so we're lucky in that regard that we have a system and a, a style of play, and we're in constant contact with the state directors of coaching once we're on the floor. Yeah, uh, and that that really does help. But yeah, it, it, it's it's certainly challenging. You, you we're going to be in a situation where we have one camp and head to Asia Cup as well, um, yeah, most likely. Yeah. And the the good thing for me is going through Asia Cup, um, which was the first time a gems group had done that. We, we were exposed. Um, Korea, Japan uh, certainly exposed us for a lack of speed, um, a lack of defensive containment, All right. uh, defensive transition. Those key areas, we, we, we were exposed and um, exposed. In a, we, we ended up with a bronze medal, thank goodness, and you have to be in the top four to qualify. So Asia's, Asia's uh, probably, in some respects, more fearful than actually going to the Worlds because – those Asian countries are, are just getting better and better all the time. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned a couple of things there, but what do they do really well that like sort of stuff that uh, you've got to then, you know, counter it on the run? Yeah. Well, the, the speed in which they um, up and down the floor is, um, and they, the gather step footwork. Yeah. Um, they, uh, Korea and Japan, for example, were well advanced in those skills. So, a player is getting an extra meter, meter and a half, and they're in the space of the defender and mm. able to blow by them. So we we were particularly our post players. We were getting exposed all the time. We would be um, trying to contain a, a smaller, uh, robust post player and keep them in front. We weren't able to do that. So the I guess in in the back of my head is uh, that clinic I presented. Yeah, yeah. A while ago was uh, basically having the ability to recover and stay in front and. And basically, stay in front of your player. I think that's one of the key things heading into Asia that we'll we'll have to be uh, better at. Yeah. And is it is there anything in particular about their transition that you know, or are they just fast and efficient in terms of rebounding and outletting and running the floor? Yeah, they they're, they're ready ready to pull the trigger quick. Yeah. So um, you'll you'll see a lot of flare screen actions. Oh, yeah. uh, a lot of counter actions where the They'll they'll be cutting towards the ball and back cut uh, if you you overplay and um, it's it's very very dynamic very quick uh, and the the dribble handoffs the like I said the flare screens it's it's um, Korea uh, Japan etc they they're, they're the masters at it and um, we we certainly had to make some adjustments um, when when we were over there to to make sure that we we actually got through that tournament. So in tournament like that, do you um, just tend to then sort of deal with that dribble handoff or whatever just with a switching or do you, do you say, the, you know, your bigs, you know, stay on your player and, and uh, just sort of work out a way to get through the um, the action? I think it depends on individuals you're playing against. And yep. that's the way we I've always managed in the past is you basically look at the strength of each individual and work out the best strategy. It it may be switching. It, it may be stepping off and allowing your player um, – to go through on the action or to go under both if, if it's a non-shooter. Yeah. Um, so we, we adjusted, like the, for example, with the New Zealand team, we, we actually jammed and went under two, under, under the screener and under the, our defender. We actually went under both because the, the, the main handler couldn't really knock down the three and wasn't a serious threat there. And right. um, they continued to run that all game and it, it continued to work all game. So we, we were lucky that way. But, that's just an example of a, a. We found a strategy that would work. Our scouting worked, uh, and the the three of us um, worked really well together in terms of putting that together. D, Claudia, and I. Yeah, nice. When we talk about the world championships, what what are the things that separate, say, the top four teams from from all the other teams? Yeah, I, I think the uh, playing with physicality would be with one of the would be one of the biggest things, and. Um, I think we relied on um, our ability to, to, to really play hard and play together as a team. Yep. The, we, we were running a more of a, a pack line system on defense. Um, we obviously change that up if there's a fantastic individual and we want to keep the ball out of their hands. We, we come out of pack with that particular player and deny. But um, I think 
to me, the the championship was or or our run through the tournament was built on a defensive strategy. Yeah. Uh, the the offensive side of it, um, Peter Lodigan made a comment. We stubborned our way through, and <laughs> we the 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 we ran a lot of uh, one four offense. Uh, we okay. ran a lot of flow offense, and yep. um, there, there was a dogged determination uh, in in the group. Like I said, Jess Shelley doesn't like losing. Um, <laughs> There's a number of those kids, Shyla Heal, um, some of the, the the players in that group. Um, they they just don't like losing, and and that was that competitive edge. I think is is probably the thing that the top four had over everybody else. Yeah, and, and do you think those teams? You know, we're, we're getting we're probably talking about the better teams, but do they always have? Uh, and again, it, like I'm probably thinking in in repeat tournaments. Um, do they always have a bit of an X factor, or and like from your point of view as a coach and thinking about who you're going to play at that level, um, can you normally expect certain things from those teams, or, or do they the do those teams you play evolve as well? Yeah, you, if you look at the the US. They're always going to be big, strong, powerful. They're going to play a power game. They're, they're really going to try and uh, basically focus on that low post area and high low action. And um, yep. it's you, and and that's part of the challenge, I guess. And then you go to Japan, who run a lot of perimeter action, yep. flare screens, penetration, kick, um, that type of that type of action. So preparing for a Worlds is uh, you, you've got to take care of all bases. So. Um, you, you need those players with the size to compete uh, with the likes of the US and then you also need the guards who are, are going to be mobile enough to stay in front of a, a Japanese guard or a player in that in the Asia region who often are quicker. Mm. Uh, so it's it, that, that's one of the challenges of selection and um, you, you need a really well-balanced team. And one of the – if you looked at our group uh, in Bangkok, we – I, I say we went 12 deep. Obviously, there was a couple of players like Ula. Um, she was a, a kid that didn't hit the floor much, but she was the the best team person that um, you could you could ever ask for. Encourage mm. the teammates, be there for everyone, and she played such an important role. And I think that's Dee did a fantastic job of defining what everyone's role was. Um, and to go back to that earlier question about the the top four teams and the characteristics, I think having that high basketball IQ. Yeah. Being able to adjust on the run and and uh, change up what you're doing. Because Spain, for example, a lovely flow style of system, uh, but having the ability to disrupt them and, and change up and run two or three different things at them was really the only way we could beat them. Yeah. So are they, you know, very well drilled and, you know, obviously they're, they're drilled to expect disruption as well and, and sort of have, a, have something in the playbook for that as well? Yeah, yeah. The, a team like Spain, you they, they run. Um, it's like a beautiful offense, really. Like the the flow is uh, the timing and everything. They off cuts off mid on ball screens. Uh, the the way they do that um, is, is tremendous. And if if we get into a hard court game, we we can't really play them one on one or etc. We needed to be disruptive and um, find a way that they weren't used to and, and made them feel uncomfortable. And that's what we were able to do. Yeah, nice. So, like you said earlier, um, what's the what's the road ahead then for you guys? Do you, are you still sort of waiting on some advice on on when things might happen? Yeah, I, I guess it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be dictated to by um, all the state governments, yeah, uh, the federal government, um, but obviously Basketball Australia um, are keeping an eye and tabs on what's going on, and then then you have Fever Asia, um, obviously. The, the FIBA international body, and uh, who, who knows? It's really. Um, I, I I hope we have an opportunity because I think we there's potentially uh, a fantastic group of players that we can put together and really make a challenge on um, the the Asia Cup and the World Cup. And um, I'm most excited about where it could all head to. Problem is, we it's so un, we just don't know right now. It, yeah, yeah. It, uh, could it happen this year? Could it happen? It, um, before March next year, the Asia Cup. Um, yeah. It's yeah. I, I think that vaccine is probably the thing that we need right now more than anything. <laughs> Was the original schedule that the Asia Cup would have been this year, and then the Worlds in like twenty twenty two? Was that how it works? Yes. Yeah. That. Yeah. I, so this year for Asia Cup, next year. Uh, oh, next year, twenty one. Right. Okay. Well, so it's a two year cycle now. 
All right. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, no doubt it'll happen one way or another. It might just be a little bit delayed, but... Um, I think I've been waiting uh, 20 years to have this opportunity and <laughs> so far it's, uh, it's gone gone a bit pear-shaped so far, so... Oh, well, it, and like you say, all good things come to people who wait. So uh, it made a little bit more waiting to do. So I guess I just want to talk a little bit about some of your basketball philosophy. Obviously, been in game, uh, you know, you've been involved with the game for a fairly long period of time and had a lot of, uh, you know, fantastic influences as well in terms of coaches and that sort of thing. I did hear you you talk on that coaching video that you did uh, about, about uh, was it Owen Hughes, uh, someone who was your Owen mentor? Hewitt, yeah, one of the mentors, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what sort of role does, you know, like uh, I guess maybe him specifically or but, you know, what's a, what did a mentor do for you, you know, during your basketball journey? Yeah, I, I, if I if I go back and reflect, I think uh, Jack Thomas was probably uh, the, the biggest one. Um, yep. And you, you go further, you the, like the Steve, Steve Barr opportunity and that was really set up by Jack. Yeah. So um, Jack was hard-nosed. Um, at the time when um, Big Country was at its its peak and winning gold medals and um, basically beating our Metro rivals. <laughs> we are one state now, I've got to say that. I have to say that, politically correct. Um, <laughs> That's the company line, is it? <laughs> that, at that time, Big Country was was dominant. We, we um, the Belinda Snells, the... Um, the Kate Alexander's, the, there's, there's some amazing groups of players come through and I was lucky enough to go through at that time. And Jack Jack was a huge mentor for me. Um, and I, <laughs> a lot of people always said to me, you're not hard enough, Dave, you're too nice, you're too this, you're too that. And you hear all those things, but at the end of the day, um, if you try to be someone you're not, you players will see through you straight away anyway. Yeah. So at, at times where I have tried to be a little bit like Jack and be be that tough, hard-nosed coach, play a see through it. Yeah. So I, I think um, probably the is to, to baffle them um, with with knowledge um, is, is a good way of um, of starting and, and and really just keep evolving and using that mentor to run ideas off. Yeah. And and really come up with a, a an overall philosophy. When I when I again at Age 26, coaching in the WNBL, I'd, I'd run through with an offense for two weeks. Someone had shut it down, I'd throw it out and I'd throw another offense in. Um, looking back on that, that's the wrong way to do things. You, mm. what, and I, we, won a, we won a Siebel Championship um, with Geelong based on the fact that we ran one offense, one end ball play, one side ball play, and our defense was, was, was physically very tough. Yeah. Um, what we did do with that one offense was learn to counter every situation that opposition would throw at it. So, um, and there was a variety of different options off it. And no matter what happened in the game, if if um, if things things weren't working, etc., we stuck with it. And I, I guess now keep it simple. That uh, philosophy that Jack used to talk about, and other coaches, Owen Hewitt, and all those all the people in the background, um, you develop your own philosophy eventually and uh, I I'm comfortable where I am with mine I I think there's some new things happening in the game um, that that are that are quite exciting I've been studying a bit of the Spanish pick and roll and oh, yeah. Princeton offenses and things like that to incorporate into flow yep uh, and I heard the term flotion so a mixture <laughs> of flow and a mixture of motion so okay um, that that's probably where where I'm at with that Um I like some of the flow stuff. Um, I think if you add a few more reads to it, yeah, um, I, I think it it becomes something and evolves into more of a motion offense, where it becomes a little bit more unpredictable. And uh, I think Australia went through that phase there where it was a ball reversal, uh, back cut, dribble handoff. I think every team in the country was nearly doing it. And yeah, um, I've just looked at ways of evolving that, and um, I guess. That flotion thing. I think Peter Lonigan might have actually said that to me. Flotion. <laughs> it, um, it, to me, it makes sense, and it's um, it's a, it's a good way of playing. 
Yeah, well, I, I I sort of tend to agree with you. I've always been a bit of a bit of a fan of the the Princeton offense, like getting it, getting all everyone lined up on the foul line just to space, you know, in front of the basket. Um, and if you've got quick players who can drive, um, certainly gives you some options, you know, attacking the hoop. Yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've been exploring it recently because I I diagrammed some stuff for Kristen and Katrina, and when I this is this looks pretty good, and then. Watching the Princeton stuff, it was exactly that. But all I was doing was one option. I wasn't doing the reads or the counters and um, having a look at that. And I think YouTube is one of the best coaching resources you can possibly yeah. have. Um, looking at that, I've, I've added more to it. Now um, I've got numerous counters and numerous things. And now what I've got to do is go back and go, okay, keep it simple and <laughs> take bits out. Because yeah. um, you can easily get too far ahead of yourself. And um, as, a, again, a, a young... David Herbert way back um, basically would have thrown things out, put new things in, thrown them out again, put new things in because my philosophy wasn't quite there. So mm. player management, the philosophy, um, like I said, if I had my time again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone and been a head coach at that age. I would have, I would have sat as an assistant yeah. and tried to learn as much as I possibly could before stepping into a role like that. Uh, when you talked about the um, the player management, I read that article um, where you were talking about um, yeah what you'd learnt uh, you know in the from the early days compared to when you were there with the Geelong Siebel team. And um, I was a little bit interested to know you know was that I guess uh, just sort of understanding personalities better, or or you were you just sort of being a little bit more uh, firm on your non negotiables? Probably the, you develop standards. Yeah. Um, and you, you've got to stick to those standards and um, no matter what, you, d- you don't step out of it. So yeah. um, I, I had, uh, I, I'll say her name on air, I don't mind it. I, I love the girls, Ebony Rolf um, in, in Geelong. First year I coached, we had, we had numerous stand-up arguments and it was basically we were butting heads. Um, but what happened over that time is I, I held my ground and what we did, we developed a mutual respect, and I think that's the that's the key. Is you, you you've got to you've got to do what you believe in. Yeah. Um, obviously, understand what what they believe in, and you you do have to give and take a little bit. Um, obviously, players who in a, in a senior at a senior level, um, you have to listen. You have to take in their what what they're trying to what they're trying to tell you. You may not always agree all the time, but you end up coming up with a with a, a philosophy and. We did gain a mutual respect, and um, she's a tremendous young lady. Um, so, I mean, no disrespect to her at all. She could play on any of the teams I coach ever in in the future, because um, she knows exactly what I want, and uh, vice versa. So, um, but I think that's the if I'd had that ability when I was a younger coach at twenty six, yeah, and the, the likes of those younger superstars that I brought in, um, I. I believe I would have nurtured a team and and developed a championship team um, with those particular players. Yeah, yeah, hindsight's great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Like you, like I, like I say, the me twenty years ago compared to now, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, what What's your appetite for uh, friction or, or tension nowadays like? Um, I, I think anything meet it head on. Yeah. So anything that happens, you. And I wouldn't say I'm going to yell and scream. I, I, I do at times. But basically, um, if, if you hear something, or just stomp, stomp on it straight away. Just head, head first, straight on, um, and be, be directing what you want. Go back to those standards. Go back to those beliefs and behaviours that, um, that you want your team to exhibit. And that's really um, what, I, what I do. And I think it's very hard to have a list of 20 rules. Yeah. Um, I like what Mike Krzyzewski has. It's it's uh, basically there's one rule and bring the team into disrepute, we're going to have an issue. And um, <laughs> that that leaves it open for individual, um, I, guess, I guess, individual feedback, individual interpretation of what goes on. Because if you, you bring in a hard and fast rule of you're not doing this, um, it, it's quite easy to, to um, be in a situation that you don't want to be in by having to, uh, even though you might believe in a player and what they're doing, yeah, you said this, so the rule said that, and you have to follow the rule. So yeah. I think that way, Coach Krzyzewski, because um, we, we actually we sat there and listened to the first time he addressed a group of players at Duke. 
Oh, yeah. Pat Hunt and a group of coaches at the time. And he he said that about the one rule. And the other thing he said was um, you got to learn to fit in before you can stand out. And I think that's another one that um, really resonates with me and with what I've, what I've tried to do. I think getting to Geelong or getting to any of the programs that I've been to is you try and find your place. Uh, once you've got that and you're comfortable, um, you bring in your beliefs and your standards and everything like that and then you stick to it. And hello, high water, that's what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what does um, success look like for you now as a coach? Uh, you mentioned earlier you're involved with the high school program, um, and let's maybe talk about it in that context because uh, that could probably mean different things to different people. So, um, what's your view on that at the moment? We we, we started. Uh, you've got the likes of Roville, uh, Maribyrnong, Box Hill in Victoria. They're all metropolitan based uh, specialist basketball programs. We, uh, through uh, Western Heights and Fiona Taylor, the principal, we decided to look at a, and Mark Oranuk is another guy that uh, was involved in the early setup. We looked at setting up a specialist basketball program in regional Victoria. Yep. Geelong is, is the perfect place for it. And we said uh, last year, if we got 10 people, we'd be in great shape. We ended up with uh, 56. Oh, yeah. Um, I brought in uh, Chris Blixavs which is uh, Sarah and Mark's brother All right. Um, as a strength and conditioning coach. So he and I have basically uh, two classes, a senior and a junior class. And it, it's not like a high school program. It is a, we, we have the kids on court for six hours a week oh, in, yeah. the, in the school week. Uh, we have them in the gym uh, three, three times a week, three hour sessions. And we also have them for, a, a, I guess, a basketball IQ session as well. All right. So, um, and that that forms a part of their curriculum, and it it it's been, it was very. It was, we were getting some momentum and starting to really go well with the whole <laughs> thing, and unfortunately, COVID nineteen struck again. <laughs> but I, I love it. I in, in ter- if it was looking for a dream job, that's um, that that's that that's been brilliant. I I have kids um, basically coming to the office all day every day uh, while I'm there, and um, to see each player grow and develop is uh, is, is fantastic. Yeah, nice. Oh, I'm a little intrigued by the uh, basketball IQ uh, topic. What's that about? Uh, we we um, it, just recently we Nathan Cooper Brown put out. He's one of the high performance lead coaches. Yep. Put out a player comparison form, and um, huh. like a, like all good basketball coaches, I stole it uh, <laughs> and ran the idea. Um, so each player had to actually write a, an assignment and compare their ability to a, a player they aspire to be. So someone in a similar position. Yep. Um, so they had to study the player, write down ideas and concepts around it, and then then do a five-minute presentation to the class, um, including some video and photos. All right. Um, of themselves. Video. Of themselves playing. No, 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 of their superstar and how they oh, okay. it. So. Some of them was fantastic. Some did videos with speaking over the top. Some of the year seven ones were better than the year 10 or 11 ones. So I got a school Monday will be interesting for the year 10 or 11. (laughs) But that, that sort of thing. And we, we did some Ted Ed work, uh, which is a Ted Ed's a format where you, you actually, we use some games from Bangkok. Actually, we, you watch it. I, I watch it. I write down questions that they can answer. Yeah. I point out specific things that they've got to look at. Um, and they've got to come back and reply either multiple choice or short answer. And um, it's just getting kids to watch games and understand the, the what what's actually happening in a game. Yeah. You know, what sort of screen is it? What sort of this? What's that? What's this? Um, and we've had a real lot of success with the seven eights. Um, so I'm I'm I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens over the course when they get to year eleven and twelve, whether it um, translates into their have a higher IQ, I'm not sure. So. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting, wasn't it? Because like a lot of people talk about, you know, wanting to be a student of the game, but I'm not sure that um, people know what that means, you know, because I know with kids that I've coached, um, you, you can point out a bit of a game or watch a bit of tape and you say, well, this is what they're doing here. And they just tend to watch the, the up and down of the basketball game and there's not really any of that thought process going on about what's actually happening here. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the, I think, the strength D Butler had with the group, um, the gems. So they, she, we would run through an offense. Um, we'd get into a, 
classroom situation, she'd make the player pick up the whiteboard marker and yep. basically draw what we were doing on the floor. So they had to they had to know exactly what was going on, and um, that's something um, when when we get back on court after COVID. Uh, with the school and whatever I'm doing from now on, yeah, um, I'm really going to look at that, and I think it really helps in terms of their detail and their understanding of um, of player movement, etc. So, um, good good one to employ for sure. That one, that yeah, one. yeah, and also, yeah, not not just their role, but other other people's role as well, and yeah, uh, yeah. Th- things like timing and that sort of thing as well. It'd be that's that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I guess uh, with um, just a couple more sort of technical type questions again I, I'm just listening to some of the things you said on the Trans-Tasman clinic that you did and you, it, or maybe it was the article that I read uh, but you were talking about shot selection and uh, might have been uh, one of the, the teams you were coaching and what's your current view on, on that like when you talk to teams and you're sort of saying okay well everyone you know has the opportunity to shoot the ball but what, what's the shot you're after? Yeah I think give up good for great um, is one little statement to, to follow. Um, I think the, it, it, if I looked at um, Sarah Blixas when I started with her at Geelong, um, you, you, she'd catch it, she'd be looking to score and possibly against two, three players. Um, I think the, her understanding the fact that that's a contested shot, it's not a good shot, you've got mm-hmm. to make an extra pass to a teammate who's open. Yeah. Um, is something that is built into philosophy. So um, when we won the final in uh, it, with, against uh, Bendigo in the Siebel, uh, she was the one player who, who basically had double, triple teams coming at her and she was finding open players on the perimeter. And the education of that, I think, is something um, across the board you see it all the time in junior basketball games. You, I go on Friday nights to VJBL. There'll be one or two players on each team. They'll drive to the basket, have three or four people hanging off them, yep. and they still try and force a shot through the, uh, the tall timber. And getting kids to understand, hey, I've got someone in my grill. I, I need to make a better decision here. It's, I think the, the little statement, um, one-on-one get it done, I've got, I've got to remember this now. One on one, <laughs> one, one on two, not for you. One on, or one on three, um, sit with me. Something like that. One on, one on four, play no more. Um, so I like that. That little, that little statement, um, I think that, that was a Lono one as well. Yeah, uh, okay. That, that to me makes a lot of sense. Like you, yeah. you drive into the hoop, you, you, you don't want to force a shot through hands. You, you want to you want to make an extra pass and yeah. obviously uh, find a teammate who's open. Obviously, if you can make a counter move if you're one on one and make it uncontested, that's fine. But when when players are continually taking on uh, two and three and four players, um, I was in a tournament in Singapore a few years ago, and a, a friend of mine, Paul Bruin, who's up in Queensland, said to me, um, "Have a look at this team play." And I watched this kid. He went full court every time and basically he ended up one on five the game (laughs) and he just kept getting blocked and missing shots and I was like wow and um that that really made me think about that whole thing it's like on on Friday nights or wherever your teams are playing junior junior basketball should be about finding the right shot yeah um taking uncontested shots whenever you can making an extra pass um getting that that split that extra pass that that movement um, to to get your teammate open. So yeah, and just talking about passing. I mean, do you, do you think maybe talking about the kids that you're talking about watching at the VGBL, like the Friday night stuff, like uh, uh, the passing skills there on the whole? Do you sort of see kids, you know, really working to use both hands and and delivering it, you know, where it needs to be? Uh, no, <laughs> I think a lot a lot of it um, now. It's it's um, there's definitely a lot more work on creative passes. So um, scoop passes and not one hand off the dribble and players have to be proficient both sides or Mm. forget doing that. Um, But if you, if you scale it back to just the chest pass, not many, not not many kids actually have the correct form and technique and backspin. And that's why I think it's always important to get the once it's like a step-by-step process, get the fundamentals right. 
Yeah. Get the backspin on the pass. Once they can execute a two-handed chest pass, now go one hand. Now they can do a one hand. Now go behind your back. Once you go behind your back, now do a over over the top of your head. Um, now now make it off the dribble across your body. Or yeah. and that's one thing I think that's evolving in the game at the moment. It's there's no like all the all the different uh, finishes of same foot, same hand, outside foot, outside hand, um, inside foot, outside hand, outside foot, inside hand. All those because basketball's unpredictable. You you get bumped off your line. You you. And it's the same with passing. You have to have the ability to hold your line and hold, be strong in, through your core mm. to be able to make passes off the dribble. So um, that, that that's really like in terms of passing. I think there's a step by step process that coaches should follow. Don't don't just get into that one hand off the dribble straight away. Yeah, um, just work through that process and develop it properly. And maybe linking it back to sort of what you've seen, you know, from those European teams at the World World Championships and stuff like that. Like, obviously, I think everyone recognises they're they're really good at, at passing and and you know spacing and and you know throwing great passes. You know, most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Spain. If I think of that um, that particular team at Worlds, um, that they're pretty special the way they actually zip the ball around the floor and. It's it, it is um, like it's one one bounce off the and and they're zipping it um, with that same hand. The other hand doesn't even come into play. It's mm. kind of, um, and they they've developed as a, as an art, and you see more and more Australian basketballs heading that way. So I think we're we're slowly catching up. If if not, uh, we're, we're certainly stronger and better in other areas though than uh, than a lot of the other nations. So yeah. I just wanted to, just before we finish up, just talk a little bit about your role that you that you do with um, Basketball Victoria as a high performance coach. I, I guess you're like primarily looking after the country kids there where you are. Um, yeah, there's Victoria Grant Wallace at Basketball Victoria did an amazing job putting together a model. Um, we have metropolitan hubs, we have country hubs. So yep. I won't get them all right, but there's. Uh, <laughs> One in uh, at MSAC, there's a state basketball centre one. There's one at Keylor, uh, Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo, uh, and the Latrobe Valley and Shepparton. Yep. Um, and what it, it, it's actually basically put a coach in all of those regions part time. Uh, I'm, I'm part time in Geelong, so I my my hub is from Geelong through to sort of Portland area. Oh yeah, um, and we we have a hub in Geelong and then a sub hub in Warnable and Rebel Noda, the coach in, in Warnable. Um, basically we deliver the program to the athletes here and the Warnable kids come in uh, to Geelong and we've met them halfway at Colac and, um, we, everything was going fantastically well for our first year. And then, um, unfortunately no vaccine yet. So we're not back on court, but the, that the basketball Victoria system, um, if we if we're allowed to be on court and we we get this right, um, Victoria is already a powerhouse. It, it it could go another level. It's a it's a um, it's a bit of a monster waiting to happen because the the model is um, is fantastic. I think Grant and the team of basketball Victoria have just done such a wonderful job. Yeah, um, it's really something that other states should have a look at. I know Queensland had. Uh, directors of coaching in Cairns, Townsville, Mackay, Rockhampton, um, all the way down the coast. Mm. Unfortunately, um, that that has that's gone a little. Um, yeah. And really, I think it's it's something worth investing in because if you have a specific coaching person in those areas, um, there's someone that people can turn to as a as a mentor. Yep. Um, and I, it, it's very worthwhile. Like I, I remember, I was lucky enough to. Be there when uh, the Darren Austins, Mark Beecrofts, those guys were all in those regional positions. Yeah, and I, I thought that was that was where uh, basketball Queensland really those those hubs or centres really grew. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a great model, and you know, like the the proofs in the pudding, isn't it? Really, when it comes yeah. down to it. Yeah, that's why I think I think Victoria could go another level with the the, the current model and. Um, the kids are, are certainly getting the right work, and during the the COVID period, um, the, they've been doing cooking classes. They've been doing wellness. <laughs> they've been the guest speakers. You 
they've been online, they're doing strength and conditioning. They're, um, the, the, the group there, um, Zoe, Jenny, uh, Nathan Cooper-Brown, um, Ash Arnott, and the, the, the hub coaches, are just, they've just done an amazing job. Yeah. And the, it, it should reap some real rewards in the next few years. And it, it's kind of scary to think as a state, they could actually, we could actually become a little bit stronger. So yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah. It sounds like everything's on track. That's for sure. Like um, I, I had uh, Rob Coulter on the podcast last week. I haven't put it out there to the to the wide world yet. But um, apart from making sure I, I gave him a five star rating on his podcast, he was um, very interesting to talk to. And um, yeah, <laughs> still trying to find out what Victoria does that Queensland's not. So um, he, had, he had an interesting one, I think, with Fibrociani. Did he tell you about that with the no, <laughs> I won't go into that. I'll, I'll leave that one. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, good stuff. Well, Dave, I just wanted to thank you for your time tonight. Um, it's great talking. You know, this uh, getting inside your thinking a little bit, and 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 made all the best on on the uh, World Cup stuff when it comes around. Um, World Championships. Hopefully, um, it won't be too delayed for you, and you can get on with it and get things happening in that space. And yeah. and yeah, all the best too with uh, what you're doing down there. Uh, in Geelong with the um, high-performance hub and all that sort of thing. Yep, no way. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Dave. No way. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at OzBballCoach and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening. (laughs) 